Hey guys, before today's episode, I want to give a big shout out to the guys who made this episode possible. Upload Media Group, located right in the heart of Cedar Rapids. They host the Confused Breakfast podcast along with several other shows in the area. This company has been heavily involved in the rise of the podcast front in Iowa, and there's nobody else that I'd pick to record a podcast with when I'm visiting the homies who are just chilling in Cedar Rapids. So, if you need something to record or just want to check out some cool local content, check them out at their website at uploadmediagroup.com. That's www.uploadmediagroup.com. Stutterbox Productions is a backbone for many of the events they've seen in the Midwest, from EDM festivals to late-night hip-hop shows. This company has been working closely with this podcast since the beginning, and we always have plenty of things planned for the future. So, if you're looking to plan your next Get Gear event, head over to their Facebook page to learn more today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is McAllister's podcast. I'm your host, Lloyd's Cole McAllister. Another episode here today at Upload Media Group. We're joined today by returning guest, the Iowa local celebrity, Rob Merritt. How are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I hope we don't stir up as much controversy as we did last time. (laughs) Well, that's what we tried to do, so I hope we do. Well, you never know. You never know. (laughs) As long as nobody thinks that I'm someone other than who I say that I am, we should be good. <laughs> well, we'll try. We'll try. No no promises or guarantees, but uh, we'll try to do that. You know, it, um, I've been, um, just aside, I've been like, uh, you know, at DMAC, at, um, you know, in Des Moines, finishing up my production um, program. I've talked to a lot of people and like I mentioned your name and like people, you know, people know you, like you do have like a lot of. Um, pull across the state. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. Like, are you like, yeah, I know that guy. And they're like, oh, you know him? Mm. I didn't like his book on Columbine very much. <laughs> it just wasn't a page turner. <laughs> no, man, uh, but they've had, you know, very good things to say about you. Uh, we just had young creatives in. They were talking about working with you on their stuff. Um, I, I like. Uh, let me ask you this. Like, what does it feel like um, you know, working in Iowa, like you have, you know, working across all these different, um, you know, venues of, you know, entertainment or media or whatever, like, I don't know, how, how does that feel sitting here today, knowing that you've kind of, um, touched some people's lives? Well, it's, it's always struck me that there's a lot you can do in the state of Iowa and people mm-hmm. don't realize that, you know, people are like, Oh, I want to get into filmmaking. So of course I got to go to New York or LA. And it's like, no, I mean, there is some really great opportunities for creative folks. I mean, you, you mentioned local creatives that you had on, you know, they've built up practically a media empire here. They're making music videos, they're making films, they're doing all kinds of really cool stuff and they're doing it here. And, um, and I can, there's, there's a lot of people like that. Uh, you know, I know there's a number of filmmakers working in the Des Moines area that you mentioned, and I have been able to go on a few different film shoots just this year that are like in different parts of the state. Uh, we're going to be shooting something next month as well. That's going to be taking place like over in like the Sioux city area. And, you know, there's just a lot happening and I, I think that's really cool. I, I love that there are so many people who are so passionate about the arts or about filmmaking or about theater that they just make it happen. They don't feel like they have to wait for it to come to them and they don't feel like they have to leave the state to do it. They're just like, no, let's make it happen right here. Let's find other people who feel the same way. Let's build a community and let's do it. I mean, I know you also just made a film, uh, your first one, right? Uh, uh, Technically uh, my second short. I mean, I've made, Various projects, so that's probably I consider my second short film. But short film. I I remember you were recruiting people for that. And, yeah, and I suspect that um, I suspect that you probably had a lot of people who just were like, "Oh, you want to do a film? Sweet, count me in." You know, and and you were talking about how you all kind of just came together and figured it out. Um, and the fact that there are so many people here who are willing to do stuff like that makes it kind of inspiring it makes this a really good place to create things yeah well and like uh you know the leave the creativity aspect of it like the people that are willing to just do things for free Mm -hmm. like it sounds kind of shitty to say but like the the fact that people are just willing to like you know just help you know help and hop in just because they're so passionate about the project like that's something like 
you know, I would have never thought that like so many people would just be down to, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm making a penny off this. I just want to help like that. That's such a um, beautiful energy that comes out of this. Well, that's just it. I mean, you go to other places and everything's about money. Everything's, Mm -hmm. well, why would I do this project unless I'm going to make money from it? Whereas here, there's a lot of people who are genuinely doing things because out of the love for it, they're like, I want to make a film. Uh, I don't have any money to make the film. And then other people are like, well, dude, I want to work on a film too. Let's just all get together and do it. I think that if there was somebody out there in Iowa who was making a whole bunch of money off of projects and then like, you know, volunteering, you know, using volunteers to make them and then pocketing all the money, that'd be pretty crappy. But what you have is a lot of people who are just making things out of a love for what they want to do and getting experience and building themselves up to the point where then they can, in fact, because they've built you know, experience, they've built up a resume, whatever, they've got like a reel of work they've done, then they can, in fact, go out and get paying clients. Um, and I'm pretty sure that, I mean, going back again to young creatives, you know, they, they have done projects that were kind of just to sort of get their name out there. And now I'm pretty sure they regularly pick up a lot of paid work and have built a pretty great business doing it. So it's, uh, it's a great place to learn And it's a great place to build yourself up to where you can, in fact, make it a career if you want to. But if you don't have time for that, if you're, if you're busy doing other things in your life and you're like, you know, I just, I want the arts, I want film to be part of my life, then there's tons of great opportunities to do that too. And I think that, I think that's important. I think that people need to have things that they're passionate about. And if you don't have that, then life just becomes pretty boring. So I I love that those opportunities exist. I love that there's, uh, so much of a chance, both people willing, like you said, to help out as volunteers, and then at the same time, the chance to grow to where you can actually make it into a business that pays for itself. Um, you know, it's whatever road you want to go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we just recently had uh, Scott Sipker, uh, if you're familiar with him, he did Iowa Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember we, Scott. Yeah. We, haven't, we, I actually haven't seen anything from him in a while, but I remember for a long time, he was like constantly. Yeah, well, he just put out uh, a documentary recently that he spent, I think he said, 10 years working on. Um, I don't remember exactly who it was, but it was um, it was a Heisman winner from the 30s. I think he was I think he was black. That was part of it, too. But um, but um, but anyways, like uh, just him listening to him talk about like how like how much you have to be willing to like do stuff for free. Like he said, a lot of his career was like, you know, just asking people, hey, I want to make this for you and then let me make it and then we can, you know talk about it Mm -hmm. and you know um maybe this is just me dealing with like you know rappers and things like that but a lot of people um that i interact with like they tend to be very like on the money like hey you need to pay me this amount which makes sense like i can as as someone who's like you know capitalistly minded like i can understand why somebody would um you know want that but like you know for better or worse you do kind of have to give that up a little bit though if you want to create you have to be able to surrender that and be like hey like, yes, we want to make money, but the real reason we're here is because we want to create something special. Mm-hmm. We want to bring atten- a positive attention to the state, you know? Well, and that's great. You know, if, if there are people who can make money and, you know, they've oh, yeah, they've built up the body of work that they can be like, hey, I am worth this. Pay me this. Awesome. More power to them. The only time I get annoyed is when people start shaming other people for volunteering, being like, mm. how dare you do that? You are devaluing the industry. That's and it's like, dumb. Um, would they get hired and paid if they weren't volunteering? Well, well, no, there's, you know, there's only so many opportunities out there. Oh, so you're saying that the only way they're going to get to do this is if they volunteer. Well, then why don't you just let them? I mean, that's the thing. If, if somebody wants to create art, let them don't shame them because they're not demanding money for it when there's nobody out there who wants to hire them. Yeah. Nobody's holding a gun to their head. Exactly. Exactly. They they want to go make stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I hear, I hear photographers say that where they're like, Oh, you know, these, these free photographers who go out and do it for experience, you know, they're just devaluing the industry. And I'm like, well, if they're amateurs, then their product shouldn't be comparable to yours. You're as a, like a pro, you're probably like at this level and you can charge what you charge. That amateur who's like just getting started out, they can't charge what you charge. They they just, they can't, they don't have that level of experience. And so if you're saying that they're producing work, that's as just as good as yours as an amateur, maybe you should think about building your own skills up rather than complaining about what they're doing. (laughs) I I mean, I, I, again, I totally respect people, um, you know, people making this their career, but do not shame other people 
who are just trying to gain some experience. Like, just don't do that. It's just not cool. Yeah, that's stupid. I, I can't even. I can't even imagine why. I mean, because that's one of the beautiful things about. Like, it's just like giving. Like, everybody wants to give. Yeah, some most people want to give. There's, there's <laughs> Not this, everybody. There's this really good meme that's going around, and it it uh, that I've always loved, and it talks about how um, the arts were not. I mean, it's like if you can monetize your art, great, good for you, more power to you. But the idea that you shouldn't do something unless you can monetize it is a is a just it's a really discouraging mindset, and it's what keeps people from trying a new form of art. Um, I mean, people should want to paint because they love to paint. Not because, well, you know, I could sell this, you know? So what if you suck as a painter? So what? Do it. Do it because arts are supposed to be a form of expression. If, you're, if you love to sing and you're not the greatest singer in the world, so what? Do it anyway. Uh, go to any karaoke bar and you'll see tons of people who have no problem with getting up to sing, even if their singing skills are questionable. Uh, they're still having fun. They're still yeah. loving it. Uh, you can go to, um, you know, there's, I go to a lot of theater productions, like a lot of, you see a lot of community theater stuff and you know, there are some amazing community theater productions out there. There's also some community theater that's not so great, but again, those people are getting a chance to express themselves as artists. They're doing it because they love it. And I just, I just want a world where people can do arts because they love the arts and that it doesn't have to be about, well, you know, you don't have a master's degree in directing. So how dare you direct that play? You know, I'm experienced. I'm the one who should do. No, dude, let people create art. Let people make art. Let people have fun with art. And if you can monetize it, good for you. But that should not be the only reason to do art is to make money off of it. That's, I just don't oh, understand that mentality at all. No, I mean, and look, I mean, if you're into a racket for making money, art's the not the good, you know, going to business or yeah. something, you know, <laughs> art's not going to be where it is. Yeah, I mean, I I salute people who have made career in the in the arts. I salute yeah. them. It's awesome, and I've certainly been you know paid for work that I've done too. I just I really get frustrated when people shame or discourage anyone who is volunteering to or who is doing art just out of the love for it. Like, don't do that to people. It's so not cool. Yeah, it's just I, I just don't even understand why you would spend the energy doing that. Yeah, well, people do. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it is crazy. What? Um, let me maybe we kind of dance around this a little bit, but let me ask you like kind of this one of the questions I asked Scott is, uh, what do you think is the path forward for Iowa film, Iowa filmmakers, Iowa media as a whole? Because I really think there is something special in the state. Maybe this is naive, but like th there is a thirst for art and true, you know, innovation, that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, we had like, you know, the Iowa tax credit that, you know, mm -hmm. kind of put, makes everybody uncomfortable. Um, like, I don't know what, what are your, what do you think is the way forward? Keep creating. That's, that's it. I mean, it's a really simple answer, but I mean, I constantly hear people say, Oh, you know, I really want to, I want to like someday I want to make my own movie and you're like, okay, do it. And like, Oh, well, I, I don't, I don't know. How. I just do it. Um, there, I mean, I mean, to, to quote the great prophet Shia LaBeouf, just do it. Just, just do it. I mean, seriously, because you're going to suck the first, you know, I, I look back at the very first videos that I made as a video editor. Oh my God, they're terrible. Oh yeah. They're terrible, but you got to start somewhere. And the best thing that you can do is keep working uh, you know, the first things, it doesn't matter whether you're a painter or an actor or whatever, the first things that you do are not going to be good, or yeah. at least they're not, they, they might show some like potential, but mm -hmm. you're going to have in your mind what they should be, be you know, and then you're going to look at the final result and be like, well, that was not what I was going for. Yeah. That's okay. Give yourself permission to do that. And as far as, um, building, I building filmmaking in the state, um, what I have noticed uh, with each passing years, it seems like there are more filmmakers who are coming to things like the Cedar Rapids Film Festival and the Iowa Motion Picture Association Awards. And there's all these things where you start seeing the same people and 
you're making connections. And I mean, I, I mentioned I'm doing a film project in Sioux City and, and there's people in Des Moines. And that's how we all get to know one another is that we all work on things and we, uh, we submit them to festivals and you get to know this person. And then that person's writing a script and they're like, hey, I thought of you for this role. You seem like the right fit for it. Or, hey, do you know where I could find uh, a good uh, sound person for my next movie? And you know, the more people that are making things, the bigger that community gets. And then the more that people can network and connect people to other people. And the fact is, because of a lot of those events, we've seen people go on to success from the state of Iowa to a national level. I mean, everybody knows about the actors, Ashton Kutcher, Elijah Wood, you know, all those guys. But, but there's also things like, uh, like, like, uh, back in woods, the guys that wrote, um, a quiet place. Oh, I heard about, you know, they got their start at the Cedar Rapids film festival. They, Hmm. They were their, their earliest projects were things they were submitting to that festival. And then eventually they got to LA and they, they wrote that script and it got picked up. And I mean, now they're making movies of their own and they're doing great, but they are a perfect example. They got their start in the Iowa film community and their earliest successes were here. And they learned and they made things and they got better and better. And eventually they went on to succeed at a national level. And the thing is that with, with, uh, with the world we live in now where you have so many things that are streaming, where you can create something and put it on YouTube and have it seen. And as long as it, you know, you know, I know you're going to have Jake Trumper on in a little bit and that dude is brilliant with cultivating an online audience. He's a perfect example of somebody who's in Iowa that has built a national following. Well, you can do that. You can do that here and you can do that anywhere. So you can create film here, put it on a platform where it can be seen at a national level. And then if down the road you want to go and try to make it in LA, go for it. But you don't have to. You could keep making things here and keep building your name here. Um, so I, I, that, that's how I think it builds is just empowering more and more people to feel like, hey, the tools are here. The community is here. I can do this. I'm going to make something and I'm going to and I'm just going to keep getting better and better and better. I agree. And uh, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but um, I think like looking more towards like an Iowa based industry rather than like trying to appeal to like Netflix or the corporate heads Mm -hmm. or whatever. I think that's a way better path forward for everybody. I mean, if you want to have that true Iowa voice and that true Iowa creativity, I mean, that's the way to do it. I mean, putting whatever politics or socio, you know, bullshit aside, like you just, you just want to have that pure voice, that pure, you know, we have a unique experience living in Iowa. And I mean, there have been some movies made about the Midwest. I think of like Coen Brothers, things like that. But like, let's be real. A lot of films <clears throat> take place in, you know, major cities, usually on the coast. Um, I do think we're getting to a time where people are sick of that thing. They're sick of that plot line and they want something refreshing. And in my mind, bringing something to the Midwest or Iowa, that's like, that's a great way to do it. You know, when we did Amelia 2.0, mm-hmm. um, which before that was, uh, it was a stage play called the Summerland Project. And, we really liked the idea of not only shooting that in Iowa, but allowing Iowa to be the setting. And the reason we wanted it was because it was a, it was a science fiction story and it dealt with, uh, you know, this, like this corporate industry that was building this incredibly innovative project. Now this, like, you know, this Android. And so, um, we were like, oh, well, you know, people will expect that something like that would happen in New York or LA or Seattle, like some much larger market. We were mm-hmm. like, no, we're in Iowa where we've got, we've got Rockwell Collins here. We've got GoDaddy here. We've got a lot of, there's a lot of tech industry here. Mm-hmm. So let's build on that. Let's show this really cool tech thing happening in the state of Iowa. And it was really important to us. And so, so we didn't change the setting at all. We, we put it right here. And I would love to see more of that. I, I am so tired of every time there's a movie about Iowa, it's about a farm, uh, or, you know, it's like, like the two most common themes in Iowa movies are farms and baseball. And hey, those are both great, but there's more here than just those two things. Yeah. And I would love to see more movies that are, are about Iowa 
that focus on other things. Um, and they're also never filmed in Iowa. Oh yeah, there's always <laughs> there's always Cedar Rapids, which wasn't made in Cedar Rapids and was made in another state entirely. Uh, um, yeah, I just I would love to see that. I would love to see people come to understand that, you know. Iowa does have technology and it does yeah. have an urban population in addition to the farms. And, you know, any, any time that there's an opportunity to show that in film, I'm all for it. Yeah. You know, uh, did you ever watch the X-Files? Did I? Oh, are you talking? Let me guess. Let me guess. You're talking about the episode in season one where they yep. like the caption Oka- says they're in Iowa and there's like a mountain behind Oka-Boji them. Okaboji. Yeah. It's like butchered. <laughs> <laughs> it's like with a G-E-E. I love that. I oh, love that so, so much because they were filming it in Vancouver and it's like, yeah. it looks absolutely nothing they're like They're driving Iowa. through Pasadena, California and they're like, hey, we're in Sioux City. It's like, yeah, right. If uh, <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's an episode in the first season of Lost that it's like a flashback to Iowa. Oh, I do kind and, of remember that now. And for the most part, they actually they actually do a, a surprisingly decent job of disguising Hawaii because that's where they were filming. <laughs> but there's like they actually I mean they got authentic state trooper uniforms and, oh, and all really? that. But there's just a couple times where you're like, okay, we don't have those trees in Iowa. <laughs> that that is not correct. You know, it's just it's just funny. It's funny sometimes when you when you see someone represent Iowa on film and it's like you are clearly not actually in Iowa right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is pretty funny. And it, it goes under everybody's noses because, you know, we are the flyover state, as they say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they wouldn't know. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, I don't. By the time this comes out, I don't really know how this will have played out, but I'm assuming it will probably still have been going on. Um, the Ryer strike mm. is currently happening. Um, uh, from what I understand, I could be wrong. A lot of it's in response to, like, AI technology, things like that. Um, what are what are your thoughts about? I guess the whole the strike as a whole, and maybe where AI is taking media, and how that could have some positive positive or benefit. My or, thoughts my thoughts on on AI. Well, I've always been fascinated by AI. You know, I mean, I wrote an entire play about AI. It's it's like it's it's a, it's a definitely a pet. It's, it's like a subject that I'm fascinated by. Yeah. Um, I think you know when you look at things like Chat GPT and how they're affecting writing, uh, I think that AI is just like what Photoshop did to photography. You know, it's it's changing it, but it's another tool in the toolbox. If you read something that's written by ChatGPT, it's decent, but it's not quite right. You know, it still needs a human at the helm to to tweak it. One of the things I think ChatGPT is really good for, uh, speaking as a writer who has often suffered from writer's block, where you're just like, I don't know where to start this. Like, I have to write an article about this thing, and I don't know where to start. I don't know my entry point. That ChatGPT can give you some ideas. You know, you can be like, okay, ChatGPT, what would you do if you had to write a 10-page article on this, because that's what I'm trying to write. And ChatGPT will you know, turn something out. And then you can look at that and be like, okay, okay, that gives me an idea of where to go. I'm not going to like use this word for word, but, but there's some interesting ideas here. I can now build on this, and I can write based on what it's suggesting. Um, and I think that's, you know, the you constantly see tools that do that Um, because Photoshop is at its heart, a tool and you can use it to do all kinds of interesting things to manipulate an image and make it look completely different from what it originally was. But you still need a, a decent image to start with and B a human eye. That's like, okay, I want to compose it this way. I mean, you know, you see a lot of AI imagery that's out there and oftentimes again, there's something wrong with it. Uh, AI apparently really struggles with fingers in photography, like in when it's generating images, it doesn't, hmm. there, there's just things that it struggles to do. Um, but, uh, but Photoshop has always been a really helpful tool for photographers. It's another tool in their box, but they're still creating original images. They're still going and photographing events. They're using Photoshop to make things look better than they could on their own. Uh, and, and, and even that's not new because before that photographers were using darkroom techniques, you know, they were developing stuff and then they would, they would in the darkroom change things about the image. There's images, um, there's images back to, with, uh, the Titanic that were doctored that, uh, that like a, like somebody on one of the most famous images of the ship when it was being built and it's in the construction bay, uh, somebody there was someone who pointed out, why does the name Titanic on the side of the ship not look right? There's just something weird. Like, And well, what it was, was that the original photographer to make the image more compelling 
had actually, because the nameplate hadn't been put in yet on the actual ship. So they'd gone up there and they had scrawled Titanic where the ship name is supposed to be. And if you're not looking for it, it looks like it's actually the name. You know, it's like, like you're actually seeing what's written on the side. Um, so yeah, people have been manipulating images. This is not a new thing. They've been doing this yeah. for over a hundred years. Um, so I, I, I think that uh, chat GPT is a tool and it opens up some options for writers. And I do think that chat GPT has the potential to do a lot of damage to the writing industry on the studio level. Because if you, you know, I, I think that it's a very helpful tool for independent filmmakers or people who don't have much budget. Mm -hmm. um, but at the studio level, yeah, you could have chat GPT where you're like, okay, we're going to make a new superhero movie and it's going to star this actor and this actress. Um, when you see how writers are just kind of treated as disposable commodities in like the Hollywood studio system as it is, um, the idea that they would use an AI program to create drafts of the script is, you know, totally, you can totally see that happening. Um, because as it is right now, I mean, usually the way Hollywood works is uh, if you write a script and it gets bought, one of the first things the studio does is they, you know, they, they buy it from the original writer, kick the original writer off of it and bring in like two new writers to do a new pass on it. And uh, then they'll bring in additional writers who will take their own space. You'll wind up seeing like it'll pass through the hands of eight or nine different writers who all take shots at it. Um, there's a really interesting story from the guy that wrote the screenplay for Gladiator with Russell Crowe. And he talked about how that's pretty much what happened to him, that he wrote this script and it got bought. Uh, he was immediately kicked off the project and they spent like a year or two just totally tweaking and rewriting this thing and kind of driving it into the ground until it was just this incoherent mess. And then finally, uh, as they were getting close to production, the director, Ridley Scott, wound up going back to this original writer and being like, hey, there's some issues we're hoping you can help us work out and brought him back in. And so the guy took the, you know, this bizarre Frankenstein that his script had become and he fixed it. And he wound up winning an Academy Award because they won a screenplay award. Well, the thing is, if they hadn't brought him back in at the end, he wouldn't have won anything. Like he wasn't even listed as a writer until he got brought back in. And it's like, yeah, that's how Hollywood feels about screenwriters, that you are completely <laughs> yeah. disposable. Yep. And just, you know, so, so the idea that they could replace writers with an AI program, of course they could. Yeah. Of course they could. And especially because the programs are going to keep getting better. And, you know, and they'll be able to just generate what they want. I imagine they'd still probably have a human producer who would then take what ChatGPT makes and be like, or whatever program Tweak they're it. using, and be like, okay, well, let's fix this up. The producer wants his girlfriend to be in the movie, so we got to write a role for her. And, um, you know, this actor wants this moment, so we got to do, you know, they'll still be doing that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think that, um, I think that there's a lot of potential for AI to really, really shake things up at the studio level. Yeah. Now at, at, at other, you know, levels further down, I don't know. I don't know because especially at like an independent film where it's very much about character driven stuff. It's not about spectacle. It's not about formula so much. There's a lot more room for human writers there, but yeah, I, th I think the studio course they're going to use i mean they're they're all writing off of there's a book called save the cat it's all about oh, yeah it's I all about that. you know using formula to to make your screenplay yep. look and sound like every other screenplay out there mm -hmm. so gosh if that's what hollywood wants of course you're going to use an ai program it'll do it that much easier yeah so yeah i, I think it's it's definitely gonna have a huge impact on the industry and um, and there are people that are like, well, we got to get rid of it. Well, that's never going to happen. AI is no, out. Yeah. You will never get rid of AI. It's, I agree. It's, uh, you're just going to have to learn to adapt. It's a tool and you're going to have to learn how to use it. Um, 
but uh yeah it'll, it'll change everything yeah scott made that point too when he came on the show is like it, it, it's at the point where you might as well lean into it or you're gonna lose yeah yeah absolutely and, and there are photographers i mean i brought up the photoshop thing because there are photographers who hate photoshop and they post <laughs> things online and they're like no photoshop look at this i made this picture without any photoshop and i'm like okay good for you but yeah. um so you're saying that you deliberately chose to not use a tool that your competitors are using in order to make their products more appealing to potential customers. All right. But, uh, and you know what, if that's your hobby, if that's what you want to do, you know, going back to the volunteer thing, if this is, if, if taking photography and never using Photoshop on it is your hobby and makes you feel like you're expressing yourself as an artist. Awesome. Go for it. More power to you. But if you're trying to be competitive in an incredibly competitive photography industry and you're choosing not to use one of the most helpful and common tools for improving photography. Uh, why? <laughs> like, okay, good for you, but uh, you're not going to be competitive because yeah. your, your peers are just going to run all over you. Um, or like if somebody was like, I, I don't like digital photography. I'm going to shoot everything on film. Okay. You're going to make your life a lot harder because you got to get that developed. And while you're waiting on development, all of your competitors are shooting digitally and, you know, running circles around you, yep. you know, so it's, it's going to be the same thing with, with AI. Uh, you might hate it. You might as a purist be like, I refuse to touch this program, but uh, you can bet that everybody else is going to be using it and they're going to be finding ways to make their workflow go faster and better as a result. And you can choose to do the same uh, or you can as professionally get left behind. That's what's going to happen. I'm not saying that because I think that's a good thing. I'm saying yeah. it because that's what's going to happen and, you know, go with it or find another industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I will say I kind of want to play devil's advocate a little bit on your point comparing uh, AI to Photoshop because to me, like something like ChatGPT, there's more of a potential and I don't know how you feel about this, but a potential for like consciousness. Like in theory, like it, it almost because with Photoshop, there's still like an initializing initializing point, right? Like you take a picture, you bring it into Photoshop, mm -hmm. whereas ChatGPT is almost creating the picture instead of I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think that's accurate? I don't know. I mean, they're they're both tools, and they do things to a certain degree. Um, I mean, you could you could make the same argument about stock photography. Then you could mm -hmm. say, well, you didn't make that either but you're using stock photography, bringing it into Photoshop and messing around with all these pieces. And now you've got this image that, you know, you created cause you were moving everything around and yet none of the initial photography is actually yours. So why is that okay? But chat GPT is not. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think that as long as everybody is always honest about it, you know, the, the issue you're going to run into is mm. when somebody makes something in chat GPT and then turns around and claims that they actually shot yeah. this. Uh, I mean, I do think that, you know, you get, you start getting into things like deep fakes and stuff like that. There's yeah. absolutely a potential that people won't trust images anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens every time I say something nice to my girlfriend is just... <laughs> 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 no, it actually it got sorry, quick sequitur. It actually got to a point where I was like I was like putting things in the chat GPT, like write a poem or write a love letter to my you know, my partner and she would like get pissed. She's like, I can't tell if this is real or not. <laughs> like you're not being genuine. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, but, uh, no, it, well and that is that is absolutely a that is a that is a concern that's out there is is that you won't know. Mm -hmm. You know, it, and I think that but you know, there, but there's lots of things. There's lots of like crafts, arts and crafts, things like that, where you know there are machines that can make something much better than you can make it by hand. Um, you know, I build a lot of model cars. That's like a hobby of mine. And the truth is, I can work like crazy to try and detail a model car and get the paint just right and all of that. And at the end of the day a die cast car that sells for 30 bucks at Walmart it, it might have every bit as much detail that when it was printed on a machine uh, and, and the machine made a thousand of them in one day um, and every single one of them, the paint is perfect. And, you know, and there, and I suppose I could get one of those and be like, well, I made this. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't make that thing. Um, but you know, some of it comes down to, 
just your, your pride as a craftsman. Hey, I mm. made this thing. I'm proud of this thing. Um, again, though, comes back to industry. I mean, if somebody was like, hey, I want to pay for a model car, uh, they could buy a $30 die cast or I could slave over making a handmade model for them. I can't sell that for 30 bucks. It's going to be way more expensive because yeah, of the amount true. of time and effort you put into it and all the supplies you had to buy in order to make it. Well, the machine's going to kick my butt economically. So it comes down to, I'm making this thing because I love it. I can't mm. expect to be competitive in the industry trying to sell my model cars against yeah. a machine that's producing them at equal or better quality for way cheaper. It's just, I mean, and that's been true for, you know, people who make clothing, like machines, the industrial revolution has always made things easier and cheaper. And so then it just comes down to, well, how much do you value something that's crafted by hand versus something that's made by a machine? Yeah, I agree. Um, let's take a real quick break. I got pee and then we'll jump right back into it. Okay. Oh. Guys, we're back with Rob. Um, so what have you been doing recently? I saw on uh, Facebook, you were in a play about the Titanic. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That was actually last year. Um, oh, okay. yeah, I got to play Thomas Andrews in Titanic, which was awesome for me because, uh, Thomas Andrews has been like a personal hero of mine for a long time. Mm. I have always been obsessed with the Titanic. Probably why I knew the thing about the photo. And the thing. <laughs> um, no, I, I, uh, I've, I'm, I'm a huge fan of history in general, but the Titanic specifically. And so getting to play that character was, was a really, really cool opportunity. It is getting harder to do theater simply because, you know, we have a baby at home now. Mm. And, you know, anytime that you do a play, you're talking about, you know, anywhere from a month to two and a half months of rehearsals. And then however long the show actually runs, you know, theater Cedar Rapids here in town, they'll have musicals that'll go on for six week runs or, or longer sometimes. And, and it's just, you know, those things are great to do when you're single. <laughs> They're great to do when you're in a relationship and, you know, but, but once you have a kid at home, it becomes really difficult to yeah. do. And you figure, because anytime that you're not at home, you're at, you're making your partner be the one that's responsible for mm. your kid. And, you know, my wife and I, we've been very big on making it a partnership, you know, and dividing duties as much as possible, you know, working together on a lot of things. And so, you know, it's, it's hard for me to ask her to do that. You know, I'm basically like, Hey, for three months, uh, you will be the only one putting Michael to bed and giving him his bath and all of that because I'm going to be rehearsing something for and then performing in it for this long stretch of time. And, you know, it, it's just hard to do that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, my theater career is kind of taking a bit of a backseat right now. Sure. That's actually one of the reasons why working on film project is easier because you go off to do a film, you know, you might be doing four days of shooting, five days of shooting, something like that. If it's a, if it's a major feature, it'll be longer. But even then, like even if you're shooting a feature film, you're talking about 12 to 16 days of shooting. It's still way less than a two month rehearsal period. And you know, however long it takes to perform. So, uh, so it's easier to do projects like that. Um, yeah. And I, I'm still, you know, I still find lots of, really fun things to do. You know, I, I, uh, I've, I've been, well, let's see. <laughs> oh, this morning I was actually, uh, arguing online cause I posted something <laughs> about, um, have you heard the thing about, uh, Robert De Niro just had, uh, he had a, a baby at age 79. Oh, he died. I didn't. Yeah. Know that. Yeah. Oh, this wow. whole, and people were just like all mad about it. They're like, what is wrong with Robert De Niro? You shouldn't be having a kid when you're 79 and he's not going to be able to be a father. And that's just so irresponsible and awful. And I'm just like, Hey, uh, what do you think you're doing? Uh, policing who can have a kid and who can't, uh, I mean, from my perspective, first of all, uh, first of all, you can lose your father at any age. They're yeah. like Pete Davidson, the actor, he was a little kid when his dad was a firefighter and died uh, on 9-11. Like one of the towers collapsed on him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I mean, his dad, I think, was in like his 30s. So that can happen. Uh, I know lots of people who lost their parents to illness or to a car accident. You know, it, it can happen at any age. You know, Robert De Niro is 79. So he, he has a kid. That means if he lives into his 90s, he'll still see that kid grow up. And so, but if he doesn't, you know, if he gets sick, if something happens, 
Well, then his kid will lose a dad the same way that lots of kids lose their dads to health or accidents, things like that. It's, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous to say, well, yeah, but you know, you're, you're just too old. It's also a total insult to all of the women out there who have raised kids as single moms to say, well, you know, that kid's going to be lost because he doesn't have a father. No, he'd lose something, but there are lots and lots of single parents who have successfully raised kids yeah. and done it on their own, either because the dad passed away or because the dad simply left. You know, yeah. the dad walked out on the family. Those things happen all the time, regardless of age. So again, you know, uh, and then, and finally, you know, I just, I took it kind of personally because uh, I'm, you know, I, I became a first time dad at age 46. Oh, wow. So it's like... You know, I, I, one of my best friends, he's same age as me and he's a grandfather. So it's like, yeah, I started a little late, but you know what? If somebody wants to come up to me and say, well, you know, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be in your sixties by the time your kid's going to graduate high school. That's really irresponsible. You're a bad dad. I'm going to be like, you know what? You can just can we swear on the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will, I will kindly politely invite them to go fuck themselves. Cause it's like, <laughs> don't tell them that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, I just, it just, it just frustrates me that people feel the need to police how other people live their lives. I agree. Like I agree. let people marry who they want to marry. Let people, let families be families when yeah. whatever form that takes. And if that form involves somebody who is like past the age of retirement, becoming a dad, let him. How does that hurt you in any way that that family is choosing to do what they do? Um, if it wasn't for Robert De Niro, that kid wouldn't have been born. So I'm guessing that kid doesn't have any complaints about the fact yeah. that his dad is going to be Robert De Niro. So I just, I, yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, you become a dad, your perspective changes on a lot of things. Like yeah. that's an example, you know, my, my, my attitude toward theater is an example. Um, I mean, I was, hardcore into theater for decades. Uh, I did it all the time. I, I've done over a hundred productions, but, uh, yeah, now that I have a kid, it's really, really hard to still justify it. Um, and I, I think like a lot of things that I do, I think about, uh, how it will impact, uh, my son. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it even, it, it impacts like projects you take on. Um, you know, you have to stop and ask yourself, okay, well, what if in 15 years, Michael sees this project. How do I explain to him that I chose to do this? If there's like content in there that's that I like really find abhorrent, you know, or that I wouldn't want him to see, you know, again, when you're single, you don't care about that stuff. Yeah. But once you have a kid, all of a sudden those things weigh on your mind and they affect your decisions. Yeah. I, I, I do like what you said. I the, the kind of you hearing you talk about kind of one me ask you about this point, which is, uh, because I, I do wonder about like, uh, and, and I'm not like judging anyone for any of their decisions, or I don't think anybody should be policed by any means. But there is kind of something to be said for like uh, someone who is like a father who, and you know, and and this is part of this is me because like I I'm someone who likes a lot of free time, so I'm amazed when I see people who are like you or others who like do what you do and have a kid. Like that's that's a lot of time um, take you know taken between those two things. I guess how, how, because like, you know, my experience growing up, it was kind of, um, you know, my father, he was a very busy man and, um, you know, he was gone a lot. And I think that really affected our relationship, affected mm -hmm. how I grew up. Um, if you look at comedian, like, um, <clears throat> like the comedian Theo Bond, um, he had a very similar situation with Robert De Niro where, um, his father had him at the age of 70 and, uh, he ended up having a lot of like, you know, drug addiction type of issues because he felt like he didn't have a father. I don't know. I guess what, uh, what do you think? Is there like a balance to be struck there? Or, um, it sounds, I mean, I don't know the guy, but it sounds to me like he got into a bunch of stuff and found an excuse for someone to blame it on. I mean, to say, well, because I didn't have a dad, there are lots of people who grew up without dads who don't become drug addicts. So I'm sorry, man, if you got into that and you, and then you subsequently got through it, that's great. And I'm sure not having a dad didn't help the situation, yeah. but to blame his father for the, come on. Like, well, I don't think that, he, yeah. I don't think he hundred percent blamed him, but I mean, it, it, I mean, I don't know. I, just for me personally, I can I can un understand how I, someone not having that relationship how it can affect I can them. I can oh, well of course of course I don't for a second say that if you don't have a dad that doesn't affect you in any way. Of course it does. Yeah. What I am saying is to automatically assume that because Robert De Niro is seventy nine he won't be a presence in his son's life is absolutely ridiculous. That uh, that first of all 
that a father could die at any time, regardless of their age. And second, that um, assuming that nothing bad happens to Robert De Niro, there's absolutely no reason why the man can't see his live to see his kid graduate high school and be there. So that that's what I took issue with the automatic assumption that because he is this age, there's no way that he could possibly be there for his son. And it's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. He absolutely could be. Um, I think that, yeah, of course, I, you know, as a new dad myself, obviously I, I want to be as much of a presence in my son's life as I can be. And, uh, you know, the reason, you know, a big part of why I am nervous about taking on a big project like theater or anything like that is precisely because I don't want to be an absent father. I yeah. don't, I don't want to constantly not be home because I'm working on this thing or that thing. I want to be there in my son's life, even if it means giving up being really active as active in the arts as I used to be. That's, that's fine. That's a trade-off I'm willing to make. Um, I think that, yeah, you know, if a kid loses a father, of course that's traumatic. Of course it's hard. I lost my dad three years ago. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's sucked and I'm an adult. It's, it's awful to lose your dad. Um, but I think that to automatically assume that there's no way Robert De Niro could possibly be present in his son's life because of his age uh, is just absolutely ludicrous. Well, I I guess beyond a certain point, though, I mean, when that kid's, I mean, 25, 30, he's probably not going to have a dad around, right? At that point, probably not. Yeah. But uh, so I guess like, it, I mean, and again, I'm not saying he's irresponsible or anything, but when you do have a kid at that age, there is a finite amount of time. I mean, logically, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, it's, I don't really think it's fair to compare that to like David, you know, Pete Davidson, who, you know, that was kind of a, you know, unfortunate set of experiences. It's not like he had a, you know, an internal clock run out or anything like that. Right. But here's the reason I use that as an example, because if someone's going to say, well, Robert De Niro shouldn't be a dad because there's such a high risk that he might die before his kid grows up. So are you going to now shame cops and firefighters and people in the military and any other dad who's in a high risk profession where their chances of getting killed on the job are higher than the average person? Are you going to look at those people and say, well, you shouldn't have a kid because you know, you could get killed on the deal on the job when your kid, you know, whether, I mean, yeah, 9-11 was a crazy thing, but the fact is firefighters walk into life-threatening situations on a regular sure. basis. Uh, police walk into life-threatening situations. And yeah, you know, how many, how many countless stories are there about kids growing up in World War II without a dad because their dad and, you know, their dad's like met a woman, got married, had a kid, and then went off to war and didn't come back. Um, I mean... I just, that, that's, that's why I draw that comparison because I don't see anybody shaming dads from high risk professions who are having kids, but it's just as easy for one of them to be in a situation that costs them their life as it is for Robert De Niro to be at a higher risk of health complications because he's getting up there in years. It's the same kind of idea that, oh, this guy's in a higher, higher risk area. Therefore he shouldn't be a dad. That's, it's a higher risk, but he still could very easily, if, you know, if he doesn't suffer something unfortunate, could very easily still be a very involved, very good dad to his kid. Yeah, sure. I I think there is still like a, um, when you're in that high risk type of job, there's a, I don't necessarily agree with this, but like, there's an idea of like a perceived greater good, right? Like you're, you're, you're putting yourself in that position to sacrifice yourself for other people. Whereas if you're having a, if you know, you're having a kid 70, there isn't really a lot of, I mean, it's not that it's not the same thing as that in my mind. And again, this, hmm. you know, I, I feel like, you know, maybe we're kind of conflicting in this in a way because, you know, you, you've had just had a kid and, you know, I had a absent father. So there's, and I, I'm great at talking about this. Like, I really want to like understand, like, how do you, um, and again, there's no accusation on you, but I'm just wondering, like, how do you balance that? Like, how do you balance being a father and like, um, you know, having those drives and having those passions, uh, making sure that those drives and passions don't, conf- don't conflict. You know, I, uh, I think it's really important actually. In fact, one of the reasons that I didn't, why I waited so long to become a dad and why when I was in my 20s and 30s, I genuinely never thought I would be a dad is because I felt like in order to be a good parent, you had to be actively involved in your kid's life and honestly, you know, make your kid your priority and 
put some of that other stuff on the back burner. And I didn't feel ready to do that. I felt like, no, I don't, I don't want to give up my dreams and goals so that I can be a parent. I don't want to do that. And it wasn't until I got to this age that I was like, you know, I feel like I've done a lot of really cool things. I'm at a point in my life where I'm good with stepping back, not being as involved, uh, not taking on as many projects creatively so that I can be a more engaged father so that I can be good to my kid. Um, and again, that's just me. You know, sure. I don't tell anybody else how to parent, but for me, I felt like I didn't want to try and become a parent until I knew that I could do that. Um, and so, and it's, t- it took until now before I felt like I could do that. So like when you were like, say my age, like twenties, did you ever envision there being a time that that would be the case? Or- no. Okay. No. Uh, in fact, I used to always, I used to joke about that. I used to say, well, when I was, uh, when I was 20, I felt no desire to be a parent, but I thought, well, maybe when I'm 25, I'll feel differently. I got to 25, didn't feel any differently. Well, maybe when I get to 30, I made it all the way to 40 and still was like, yeah. And so by the time I turned 40, I was like, I'm never going to be a parent. Are you kidding? I have no desire to do this. Uh, and it really wasn't until, um, you know, a couple of, it was, it was like my wife and I started talking about it and, and, and my wife told me, she was like, you know, when we first got together and when we got married, you made it very clear. You had no desire to have kids. And if that is still the case, I completely respect that. And I'm okay with that. Uh, but if you do have any interest in having kids, um, you know, we were both getting uh, to the age where if we're going to do it, we should do it soon, you know, because, mm. you know, once you get past it, um, once women get past a certain age, the, the risk, risk goes up. Yeah, risks yeah. go up. So she was like, so if we're going to do it, we should do it now. And I, and I thought about it and I was like, you know, I don't, you know, I used to actively be like, no way, no way am I going to be a dad. And I thought, I've reached a point in my life where I don't, I don't object to it. I don't feel like, oh, I can't. I was like, I, I could, I could see this, you know, this being a possibility. And, and, um, and so I, I was like, all right, we'll give it a shot, you know? And, and, um, and we had Michael and Michael is awesome. He's such a great kid. And I, I love being a dad. I'm, I'm thrilled that he's here. Uh, but it took me a long time to get here. And that's why when I hear people who are in their twenties or whatever, who are like, I never want to be, I don't want to be a parent. And other people say to them, well, you say that now, but that could change. I'm like, no, I get it. I get it. I felt the same way. And, and honestly, if somebody, uh, if it hadn't been for, for my wife, I still, you know, I still wouldn't. And I'd be, and I'd be like, okay. Um, so yeah, I am completely and totally fine with it for people who say that they never want to be a parent great. Yeah. You know, I'd rather have people say that and understand that about themselves than somebody become a parent who doesn't really want to be. And then yeah. they're like a terrible parent and they're not there. Um, I, agree. I mean, I've known so many people who are like, they're amazing parents that you're, you're like, wow, it's like you were born for this. And then there are people who are just, they go through the motions of life. They're like, well, I've reached the point where I need to, I guess now I should get married well, I guess now we should have kids and they don't really want to, but they just kind of do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then those kids grow up with parents that, you know, didn't really want them, but, but are doing that because that's what you're supposed to do. And I imagine those kids are going to feel way more neglected mm-hmm. and unwanted than Robert De Niro's kids going to feel where he's going to have a dad who genuinely wanted him. Uh, that, that I would be way more concerned about people who have kids that don't really want kids than I would be about an older dad who really wanted to have a child and did. Um, so yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, that's a really long way of answering your question by saying I, I wanted to wait until I'd gotten to a point in my life where I did feel like I was willing to make those sacrifices and be an active part of my kid's life and not make him take a back seat to all the other things I wanted to do. And it took until now for me to feel like that's where I was. Hell yeah. Well, Hey, I, I really appreciate that perspective. Like I, I, I'm genuinely curious because people come through all the time. They're like, yeah, I, I, I do all my work and I go see my kid. I'm like, but where do you play? When do you play Xbox? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, that's a casualty. I'll admit I, I have a PS five. Um, we mainly use it for streaming. I've got a couple of games on it that I, I could, 
I, I've hardly gamed at all in the last year and a half. Wow. Uh, the one exception is that uh, I got Stray on PS5. Oh. <laughs> and Michael actually really loves to watch it because it's just you're playing as a cat. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, he'll sit there on my lap and we'll like just do stuff. And, and he's just watching the screen, like amazed at this cat that's running around. Um, but aside from things like that, I mean, I don't have time. I bought uh, um, Aliens... Uh, what is it? Firestorm Elite or whatever is the most recent Aliens game. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I bought it a year ago. I've still <laughs> never played it. Like, I just don't have time. So those are sacrifices that you're just going to have to make. And yeah. in my case, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I used to game all the time. Now, um, I, I, I've got the, I've got the systems, you know, I've got, I've got an Oculus that I used. Sorry. I've got a, uh, Oh, I've got a, a brainwashing what, machine. <laughs> what, what, well, no, what did they what did they change it to? It's um, it's oh, not is it, it's is not the Oculus anymore. It's it's, it's the still the meta, the Quest. The Meta yeah, Quest. They change it to the Quest. You know, okay. they don't. They're not. They're not Oculus anymore. But whatever. I've got an Oculus Rift, and I still, uh, you know, and and there's, but I haven't fired that up in a really long time either. Um, you know, just just there's just not time. You have to prioritize. And for me, you know, gaming was kind of down on the list compared to yeah you know, sure being a dad and working on creative projects and doing my job you know yeah something had to go and so far it's been gaming yeah well and that and that that's what makes me feel like an asshole right is like <laughs> i look at like kids and i'm like oh but i'm not going to be able to like do my hobbies or whatever you know I that doesn't know. make you an asshole at all that makes you understanding of where your priorities now at this point in your life hmm. there is nothing wrong with somebody recognizing hey right now my priority is me and I uh, am not ready to be a parent right now. And I might never be ready to be a parent. That's totally 100% okay. Um, the only problem is when somebody doesn't recognize that and becomes a kid and becomes a parent anyway. When somebody still wants that to be, they still want themselves and their interests to be their top priority, but then they still become a parent. Like, no, don't do that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not like we have a population crisis. You know, there's plenty of kids out there. If you don't feel like becoming a dad, nothing in the world wrong with that. Nothing at all. And if it never changes, there's still nothing wrong with that. Be you and do what you want to do. But if down the road one day you feel differently, that's totally okay too. Yeah. Yeah. They do say that there's a population crisis, but I think it's bullshit. <laughs> like, they say like it's downtreading, but like, he's like, there's so many fucking people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Yes. We don't have like a boom like we used to, but it's, yeah. it, it's not like, oh no, we, there's, there's no children being, you know, it, this is this yeah, not the children like of men movie. It's not <laughs> like there's no kids being born anywhere anymore. It's like, no, there's still plenty of kids. Maybe we're not having uh, as many as we used to, but there's still plenty. So yeah, become a parent. If you want to become a parent, there's no other reason to become a parent besides that. Do not do it out of obligation or I anything agree. like that. I agree hundred percent. Rob, this has been a fucking pleasure having you. It again, has, man. man. It's been good to see you again. Reach across the <laughs> <laughs> hell. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you? What do you got coming up the uh, pipeline for those who don't know? I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly, you know, I, I do film projects here and there. So they pop up in various film festivals, things like that. Uh, I'm working on one right now with uh, a filmmaker, Adam Morton, who I actually did Amelia 2.0 with years oh, ago. Okay. Uh, we're, we're doing a, a film called In the Silence. And it's actually a remake of a movie that we made together back in 2008, back when we were uh, starting out, kind of going back to that thing about how, when you start, you make stuff that kind of sucks yeah, and yeah. then you get better and better and better. So we had made this movie me and my friend, uh, Tim Arnold and Adam, uh, we'd made this film and you know, it was decent for the time, but you know, it was shot on like a Canon HV 30 digital camcorder, you know, and we didn't yeah. have like, and, um, we were, you know, I, I found a copy of it and sent it to Adam like a year ago. And I was like, we, we kind of joked and we were like, God, imagine what we would do with this movie today. <laughs> and, and then I don't remember which one of us it was that came back and was like, well, actually, why don't we do that? And we kind of re-envisioned the script. We completely rewrote it. And the two characters that were in the film, Tim and I played them again, only we flipped it. Tim played the character that I played in 2008 and I played the character that he played. And, 
we made this movie, uh, we shot it like late last year and now we're in post on it. And it was just, it was really fun. It was really fun to revisit this project from 15 years ago and see what we could do today. Um, having come a lot farther as filmmakers and actors and, and, uh, we're in the finishing touches on it right now and it's, it's really cool and we're, we're excited to share that. So I imagine once it comes out, it'll go to a few film festivals and things like that. And then eventually, uh, we'll put it online, but it was a really, really fun project to work on. Awesome. Well, uh, Hey, we'll, uh, put that link in the description. Everybody go check out, uh, Rob online. You, you have, what, what's the podcast that you do again? New Boco? Oh, uh, we have a podcast at New Boco called, uh, Iowa innovation. It's actually Iowa recorded innovation. at the same studio we're yeah. in right now. And oh, yeah. oh, it's, yeah. uh, I was the co-host of it for the first two seasons and now I've moved into a producer role and we have, uh, we have two new co-hosts this season, but it's, it's a really fun thing to work on. And we basically, every week we talk to somebody uh, whether it's a, whether it's a local official or a, an, like a business owner, somebody who started a new business or an existing one, uh, or an educator. And we talk about innovation in the state of Iowa and how, what they're doing, like how they're using innovation and what they do and things they've learned that can be passed along to our listeners. And so it's a really, really cool show to work on. And there's a lot of really good stories we get to tell. Oh yeah. Well, Hey, if you ever need a guest, hit me up. We'll do, man. We'll do. Come on. (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, McAllister Hours, you know it, every Monday and Thursday at 7 p.m. We have a website, McAllisterHours.com, where you can find us there. We also have a Patreon. So if you like what we do, if you like to pay a little extra for the good shit, come check out the Patreon. All right, guys. Have a good night. Peace.